from DraftTV.com. And since we are in the midst of free agency season, we're going to use this show to just kind of talk about some notable free agent moves and, and trades even this year and, and how they, they're going to affect the landscape of the 2015 NFL Draft. And one of the teams we're going to be talking about extensively is the Philadelphia Eagles since they've been uh, uh, making moves left and right. And to do that, we're going to bring in our good old friend Chris Stuber, NFL Draft Analyst, also Director of Player Personnel for the New Orleans Voodoo of the Arena Football League. Uh, also, uh, I think fair to say uh, an Eagles fan or from the area certainly has a, a, a good feel for that team. Uh, let's bring him in. Chris Stuber. Welcome back, Chris. Scott, Shane, how you guys doing? Doing excellent. Uh, looking forward to talking to you about this. And and the reason I want to start with the Eagles is because not only have they made a lot of big moves, which we're going to get into, but Gil Brandt, uh, who's one of the godfathers of the NFL draft, who's one of the most respected names in the scouting community. He sent out a tweet on Monday, March 9th, and his tweet read, I know the Eagles' first round, first pick in the draft. Sealed name and envelope mailed to colleague to be opened on April 30th. But then he sent out a little bit more information. Two things about Eagles' pick. One, it's not Mariota. And two, it's contingent on players still being there, but he should be in parentheses, and I think that's kind of the important part. So we're going to talk about that a little later, but let's just start with the Eagles' moves in general. And there's almost too many to to, to just <laughs> mention quickly, but certainly the, the biggest one, I guess, from a public relations perspective, is they, they made a move at quarterback. They traded for Sam Bradford. Uh, they, they traded not only Nick Foles, but also some draft pick com- compensation to bring in Sam Bradford, who... Uh, that's definitely a controversial move that we're going to talk about, but they also traded uh, Shady McCoy, their their superb running back. Uh, In in return, they got uh, Kiko Alonso, of course, a guy with connections to Chip Kelly from their days at Oregon and addresses their needs on defense. They gave a huge free agent contract to Byron Maxwell to to kind of help shore up that secondary, and and they've made other moves as well, but I guess those are the, the big three headliners. But let's start at quarterback, and I guess I'll give my thoughts first, and I think Sam Bradford has shown that he can be a capable starting quarterback when he's healthy. Now that when he's healthy is the big caveat there, because not only has he been injury prone in the NFL and missed a lot of time, but his final season of college was ended prematurely with a major injury. So whether or not they're going to be able to keep him upright is the $64,000 question, but I have no question that the Eagles are going to score plenty of points, whether it's Sam Bradford at quarterback, whether it's Mark Sanchez, whether it's Matt Barkley, whoever it is, they're going to score, score a lot of points. And I think if Bradford stays healthy in that system, I think he's going to be very productive. Uh, it's just a matter of whether he's not, he, whether or not he's going to be able to stay healthy. And I, I mean, it, honestly, I don't hate 
the move. I, I think it was pretty obvious that Chip Kelly wasn't sold on Nick Foles, and and it, it seems pretty clear that he is enamored with Sam Bradford. And and I think where the Eagles are, they they were kind of in no man's land for the quarterback position. There was all the talk about the Eagles trading up for Marcus Mariota. I, I said all along that's going to be highly unrealistic. It's just going to be too cost prohibitive, and, and I think that door is almost completely shut now that they made this move for Bradford. But uh, let's start with you, Chris. Uh, what are your thoughts on the Sam Bradford deal? Do you like it? Not like it? Jury's still out? What, what are your impressions of that that big move? When that happened, when that trade happened for Foles and Bradford, my first initial instinct was there has to be more. There has to be more to this kind of a deal. Sam Bradford, I think he fits what Chip Kelly wants to do in terms of having a quarterback who is accurate, who's smart, who understands the type of offense that Chip Kelly runs. However, He's only played seven games in the last two years, and he is injury-prone, as you mentioned, Scott. At, Cotton, at Oklahoma, he was very injury-prone. Um, in the NFL, he's been that same way the last two years. and uh, It's very questionable. I know he still has value. I know there's teams out there that obviously need a quarterback and would probably like to have a Sam Bradford on their team. So I, I do really believe, at the end of the day, when it's all said and done, that Sam Bradford – may not be with the Eagles. So I think they're going to kind of use him as a chip, no pun intended, and try to either move up in the draft and target a certain prospect. Uh, I'm with you. I don't think it's going to be Mariota. Uh, I think Mariota is going to be long gone. Unless the Eagles can do a blockbuster and move up to number two uh, with the Tennessee Titans and move Sam Bradford along with a bunch of draft picks, Um but me personally, I don't see why the Tampa Bay Buccaneers wouldn't select Mariota. I have Mariota ahead of Winston, especially with Winston's off-the-field troubles. But getting back to the Bradford Eagles thing, I don't see him here. I kind of think that there's going to be another guy. I don't know if it's Mariota. It could be Brett Hundley. Uh, Chip Kelly recruited Brett Hundley as well. So I think there's a lot of moving parts yet to be made here, and we still have a little bit over a month to go until the draft. So I think when it's all said and done, Bradford won't be with the Eagles, and I think it's going to be the move up in the draft for what Gil Brandt said, a certain prospect not being Mariota. Well, and it's kind of a no-win situation for the Eagles with Bradford because if he gets hurt again, it obviously doesn't work out. But even if everything goes perfectly, let's say he has a monster season in that offense, he finally stays healthy, well, then you're going to have mm-hmm. to give him another huge contract. And I don't know how comfortable I'd be making – uh, I feel making a long-term commitment to San Bradford considering his history. So it's almost like a no win situation, but uh, you know, th- they're kind of in, uh, I've been calling a quarterback purgatory and there's similar situations to teams like the Houston Texans, maybe even the, the St. Louis Rams where they have this huge need at quarterback, but they're not bad enough that they're going to be picking early enough to, to get a, a Winston or a Mariota level prospect. And we were kind of talking about before the show, once again, about how awful this crop of quarterbacks to Winston Mariota so I, I think that's the, the, the thought process that went into taking a, a swing on Bradford. Is he the perfect solution? No, not not by any stretch of the imagination. But I think in comparison to the other options that were probably available to them, whether it be the Brian Hoyers of the world or, or taking one of these second or third tier signal callers, whether it be Brett Hundley or Bryce Petty or Sean Mannion or Garrett Grayson. I think Bradford looked pretty intriguing. Now, there, there's a, a high level of risk involved with it, but I think there's 
more potential reward than any of the other options the Eagles would have had at the quarterback position this offseason, other than just mortgaging the entire future and, and trading three first-round picks to go up and try to get Mariota. Uh, but Shane, what are your thoughts on this move? And, and I got to say too, that, that was maybe the craziest 15 minutes of an NFL offseason I've ever seen. Within a span of 15 minutes, we had Jimmy Graham traded, we had the Bradford Foles trade, and we had Aloti Anata come off the board. I said for 15 minutes there, I thought I was transported into a, a Madden offseason franchise mode because uh, it, it was just, it was like fantasy football. But uh, Shane, what are your thoughts on, on Bradford ending up in Philly? And, and do you think that's the, that that's the end game for them, or do you think that's step two in however many step process? Uh, what, what do you, what's your thoughts? It was a funny time period because I, I I came out of work and looked at my phone and just had just blowing up with all these trades. I could I didn't, I didn't believe it. I thought someone was trolling me. And, and this this one more than anything when when those final details came out, as as Chris said, I felt well the Eagles had to get some more compensation because we've seen Foles in the last two years actually play at a high level and Bradford has been hurt that whole time. Maybe Bradford is more physically gifted, obviously being a former number one overall pick, but the, 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 and, and the youth is close. They're within a year of each other, uh, but I, I've, I've never been a big Sam Bradford fan um, myself, so I was a little surprised to hear that, and I liked what the Eagles had done up till that point. I thought trading with Sean McCoy for Kiko Alonso, saving that money to invest in some defenders. Uh, Scott, you you and I always text back and forth, and you always kind of razz uh, the Eagles' Chip Kelly about about not winning that big game, about the defense not being able to hold up, and uh, I thought maybe this is maybe this is how they're going to do it: is this pull apart this offense, build this defense to be great, and let the system do its work. Um, but then at this trade and all the running backs they signed, like, maybe not. So I, it's really tricky for me to to put this in perspective. Um, I, I, I don't think I agree with Chris that, that Bradford is going to be out there. That was my kind of initial thought was with how the trade set up and the picks the, the pick that they can get back um, that, that the Rams will give if Bradford is hurt or doesn't start for the team um, is, is pretty good. So I thought maybe, hey, maybe they're going to trade this guy. But uh, then when Chip Kelly had a press conference the next day, and maybe, maybe I'm just, just falling for it, but I felt like he was pretty firm about uh, Sam Bradford. And it's rare that you see starting quarterbacks traded I don't think we've ever seen a starting quarterback traded and then traded again before you've ever played a snap for a team. So I guess the history says that Sam Bradford's going to be their guy, and and I'm a little bit I'm a little bit leery of that. But it definitely affects the draft. They're not going to go up and get Mariota, and um, I don't know if we see another quarterback for them now. Well, I'm kind of with you, Shane. I think judging by Chip Kelly's press conference, and maybe he was just putting on a heck of a show, but it seemed to me that he was pretty steadfast that Bradford was going to be his guy at least in the short term, at least maybe for a year. Uh, but l- let's talk a little bit about the, the running back, because that's the other area where they made the big moves. First off, they started by trading LaShawn McCoy for Kiko Alonso, and I really liked that trade. I did. I, I, I've always say it just does not make sense to spend a huge amount of precious resources on the running back position. So uh, I think that was a great fit. I think that upgrades their defense while opening up cap room, cap room for them to address other positions. So I love that move. But then they kind of negated it by going out and giving DeMarco Murray even more money as a free agent. And, and I understand DeMarco Murray's coming off a terrific season, uh, and, and you also hurt your divisional opponent by taking him away from the Dallas Cowboys. But 
I just have a hard time seeing that working out for the Eagles. I just don't think Murray's going to stay healthy. I just don't believe it. I don't think it's a coincidence that the year he finally stayed healthy was a contract year. Prior to that, he had been hurt every single season, I think, even going back to his college days. And now coming off almost a 400-carry season, I don't know how this is going to work out with DeMarco Murray. And not only did they sign him, they signed Ryan Matthews, too, who might be the only running back who's more injury-prone than, than DeMarco Murray. So I'm really skeptical of that move. I, I, like, I like McCoy for Alonzo. I do not like bringing in Murray and, and spending that money and those resources on a running back. Uh, and I understand the thought process. And, Chris, I guess I'm interested not only hear your thoughts on the moves they made at running back, but being from the area, do you think there was a degree of public relations involved in that situation where where was the fan base so upset that they traded Shady McCoy they weren't necessarily enthralled with Sam Bradford instead of trading up for Marcus Mariota do you think making that big splash with Murray and and maybe appeasing the fan base to a certain degree played any role in that decision I think it's changed the the perception of the offseason a little bit the Murray signing um, especially after that McCoy move and when the McCoy move came down for Alonzo again I thought there has to be more to this deal. There has to be more compensation coming to the Eagles. It just can't be a straight-up kind of deal, McCoy, for Alonzo. But if you really think about it, what Chip Kelly's doing is I always said he's a genius, and I think he's coming across thinking that he's the smartest guy in the room. And I think he did pretty well with these deals. And if you really think about it, he traded LaShawn McCoy for Kiko Alonzo, DeMarco Murray, and Ryan Matthews. If you really want to look at it, I mean, he did spend money on these players. However, that's what it came to totality as. And you're talking about injury woes with both Matthews and Murray. And, yeah, DeMarco Murray is not going to get 400 carries or even close to that with the Eagles this year. And to dispel some of those injury concerns, he's going to share the load, which is only going to make Murray stronger, healthier, and more productive possibly. And you put Murray and Matthews, and then you got Darren Sproles. That's a three-headed monster that is very intriguing, and it's going to be interesting to see how he uses all three of these guys, not to mention Chris Polk, who's also in the mix. So, I mean, I think what he's doing here is that he's getting production, he's getting value, and he's trying to figure out a way to keep these ultra-productive potential running backs in his system healthy to make them even better. And I think with DeMarco Murray, he is a completely tremendous fit for this offense. He's a north-south runner. He hits the hole hard. He gets – he's always moving forward. Where LaShawn McCoy is, you know, he, he's a dancer in the backfield. He tries to find his spots. He'll lose yardage a lot of times. He'll also go for big gains. But he's a little bit of a head-scratcher because he'll he'll lose a yard. He'll get two yards. He'll lose another yard. He'll get four yards. And then he'll break it 20. But then he's so inconsistent where Murray's always going forward. So if you take a look at what Chip Kelly has done, he's finding pieces that fit his offense to a T. And I applaud him for what he's done so far because he's making his program the way that he wants it to be with the pieces that he thinks are going to complement his offense the best. And I really like what he's done so far. And it all makes sense to me right now at the time when the McCoy trade happened. I really questioned it, but overall, I can't really say that he's done a bad job because he's gotten pieces in areas that he really needs. Well, and I think 
his next move should be to to beef up that medical staff with Sam Bradford, DeMarco Murray, Ryan Matthews, Kiko right. Alonso, and and that's a risk. But like you said, I think he's confident in his system that he's going to rotate them more and maybe alleviate some of the stress on their bodies and hopefully do more to keep them healthy. But uh, it, it was funny, a couple years ago when Chip Kelly was hired, he said, oh, I'm not power hungry, I don't want to control everything, I just want to coach. But now he made this power play, and I think it's pretty clear that He's the one steering this ship. He is the mastermind of this, and he—I think mm-hmm. two, three years from now, he's either going to come off as he's going to be a Bill Belichick level genius, or he's going to be a Josh McDaniels level flameout where he tried to do everything his way, he got all the power, and it just absolutely blew up in his face. I don't know that there's going to be a whole lot of of in between, and and like I say, regardless what happens on offense with the running backs and the quarterback, I think they're going to score points. I don't think that's going to be an issue. It's just stopping others from scoring points that I, I, I is what I think might ultimately doom Chip Kelly. But Shane, uh, before we talk about another aspect, we'll move to the draft portion of this Eagles discussion. Uh, just what, what's your what's your gut feeling? Three years from now, it's, it's 2018, we're looking at the Philadelphia Eagles. Do you think Chip Kelly's a genius, or is, is he a, a colossal failure as an NFL head coach? Which way do you think it's going to go if you had to guess? Man, that's that that's hard. That is hard to to predict because I I, I think I think him taking the reins of this team, and I, I agree with you. I think he's trying to be Bill Belichick and, and trying to mold this team how he wants this team. I give him a lot of credit for that, but I, I don't think it's going to be super successful. Not not because of him or how good he is or anything like that. But I think what's going to trip him up is just what we talked about at the beginning of the show, is just where this team is right now, where they're not good enough to win a Super Bowl, uh, but they're not bad enough to to pick low enough to really bring in top-tier players. I don't don't think they're going to have a top quarterback anytime soon. I don't think they're going to have top-impact defenders anytime soon. And he uh, he has to spend these draft picks so so well. I mean, it's got to be Seattle Seahawks like with the late-round picks turning into studs, I think, to really turn this defense around quickly. And I, I think I think the fans, maybe Chris can speak to this too, I think the fans are going to want results sooner rather than later. If you're going to do all this, then it better pay off pretty soon. Um, and I, I just don't know if that's going to happen. I don't, I don't think he's going to suddenly only win four or five games, but I don't think I don't think Eagles fans are going to take, you know, eight wins uh, – consistently uh, too well, or that occasional 9-10 win season and losing the playoffs too well. I just don't know if that's going to work for him, and I don't know if the Eagles are going to turn into this real powerhouse, really, really good team on both sides of the ball. Well, and and I've personally been skeptical when it comes to Chip Kelly all along, and and I'm definitely skeptical about some of these moves he's made this offseason, but uh, like I think both of you guys said, I, I respect the heck out of him for for taking a swing and doing things his way. Uh, and, and it might work, it might not, but either way, he's 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 doing what he wants to do and he's going to succeed or fail based on uh, on his own uh, his own results. But uh, let, me, let me ask you about that, Chris. Uh, what, what kind of leash is Chip Kelly on there in Philly? Uh, are, is there going to be a lot of patience if he's still not uh, uh, winning big in two, three years from now? Uh, are they going to be looking for a new head coach, or are they going to give him the benefit of the doubt for the long time? What's what's kind of the, the temperature of the fan base there in Philly? I don't think Chip Kelly's on any kind of hot seat at all. I mean, if you really think about it, he took over in 4-12 team. He went 10-6 and six his first two years in the NFL, and he did it with a team that did go 4-12. and 12. And now he's tearing it apart 
and building up his program the way that he wants it to be. And you have to have trust in a guy who can do that. And he has, as his nickname is, Big Balls. He can do it. And um, I don't really think Chip feels any kind of pressure. I think Chip is just going in there saying, I want this guy, I want this guy, I want that guy. Because those are the guys that are going to make my system go. And I can do without the Deshaun Jacksons, the LaShawn McCoys, the Jeremy Macklins, the Nick Foles, guys that he did not select, guys that he did not pick. And he went 10-6 with those guys. And now that he's picking his own guys, hey, let's see what he can do. Let's see if he can go 11-5, 12-4, and go into the playoffs deep. Um, I don't think ownership has any questions about Chip Kelly at all. And maybe the fan base does in Philadelphia because you hear about it all the time when you are in Philly. A lot of people questioning the moves that he makes, his play calling, a lot of things that he does. Uh, but Chip Kelly doesn't really care what people think. And he does have that Belichick aura around him that, you know, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to talk when I want to talk. And if you want to listen, listen. If you don't want to listen, I don't care. I'm going to do what I want anyway. And I think that rubs people the wrong way, unfortunately. But he's the head coach. And he should have decisions to make on his roster. He has to coach these players. He understands what he wants more than anybody else, whether it's a personnel director, the GM, whoever it may be. He knows what he wants in his offense. He knows what he wants to see out of his defense, and he's going to target those kinds of players to fit his team. And I don't think he has any kind of leash. I think it's his job for as long as he wants it while he's under contract. And if he does win the Super Bowl, which is what everybody in Philadelphia wants because they've never won one, he's going to be God in this city, and he's going to be here for a long, long time. Well, and, and of course, everybody knows Philadelphia fans have a re- reputation for, for being equal parts critical and passionate, and I love that about them. I, mm-hmm. I love passionate fan bases. And it, what would you say if you, went to, to an, uh, if you went and interviewed 100 Eagles fan bases and asked them for a, a letter grade for the Eagles offseason so far, what do you think the average would be? Do you think the, do the, does the fan base love it, hate it, or, or where, where do you think it would settle in if, if you had to get an average grade? I would say after the McCoy trade, it was probably an F. <laughs> after the <laughs> full trade, it was probably an F minus. <laughs> and then I think um, right now, with the Murray move, the Matthews move, what they've done on defense with um, Maxwell, I would probably say right now it's probably average. I'd say probably a B minus where people are. I think they're pretty happy overall. It could be upwards to a B or a B plus with some people. Um, but if you really look at it, you have to be patient. And Philadelphia is not really known for its patience. And that's unfortunate because not everything is done with one move. You have to see what the outcome is with all the totality of everything that he's doing. And right now, we've seen what he did in free agency. Let's see what he does in the draft. And that could always raise the, the the grade here to an A. You never know. If he goes out there and he gets a Mariota somehow, which I really find highly unlikely, but if he's able to do that, this city is a buzz. This city is going crazy because they believe he's the missing piece. And I believe, Scott, you probably believe he's the missing piece because if Mariota ends up with Chip Kelly – who knows what's going to happen? He's the guy who can run the offense. He's the guy who's familiar with Chip Kelly. If that doesn't happen, 
and they get a Brett Huntley who has to sit behind a Sanchez or a Bradford for maybe a year, year and a half, then we'll see what happens with that and his development. But if he gets Mariota, look out, man. It's going to be Super Bowl uh, kind of a buzz in Philadelphia, and we'll see. But I think right now it's probably about a B-minus in terms of grade-wise, I would say. Well, that's a good segue to the draft aspect of this, and then just go back to what Gil Grant tweeted on Monday, March 9th. He tweeted that, I know Eagles' first pick in draft, sealed name and envelope, mailed the colleague to be open 430, but then he, he clarified a little more. Two things about Eagles' pick. One, it's not Mariota, and two, it's contingent on players still being there parentheses he should be so so and you might question that say oh how does Gil Brandt know two months before the draft who the Eagles are going to take but he nailed the EJ Manuel pick to the Bills uh, well before the draft which I think surprised most of us even on draft day so uh, there there could be some credence to this so I, I guess I'm interested I want to hear from all of us what do we think the Eagles are going to do with their first-round pick now that with some of the the pieces of call, fi- kind of fallen into place team need-wise with free agency and Shane, we haven't heard from you for a little bit. So let's start with you. What What are your thoughts on the Eagles? Gil Brandt thinks he knows who it is. If you were going to make a guess, who do you think it is? Uh, based on that criteria of one, it's not Mariota, and two, and I think this is even the more important one. It's contingent mm-hmm. on the player still being there. He should be, and, and I think that's the interesting part. He should be. Does that mean he's going to reach for somebody that people don't necessarily expect to be a first round pick? Uh, I, I think that's the interesting angle of those two tweets with Brant. So uh, let's start with you and let's get your thoughts. What do you think Philly's going to do in round one? Well, I think that's the key thing is uh, instead of really me trying to predict the Eagles pick, I'm going to try to predict what Gil Brant predicts the Eagles pick is. Uh, I think that <laughs> might be the best way to, to go at this is, well, well, who, uh, how, where, how can he be confident and what type of player would he be confident in? And you mentioned that the EJ Manuel prediction by him, which which is his coworker Andy Fenelon, who he gave the, this pick to, did the same with the EJ Manuel pick a month before the draft. And that's just so intriguing to me because no one expected that EJ Manuel was not supposed to be a first round pick. So you have to think that if he if Gilbrand is confident enough to predict this pick that, A, it's a guy, and that second point that you made, Scott, that, 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 that Brandt said, is a guy that we are not really expecting to be a top 20 pick that's going to fall, uh, or it's not a player that we, we really expect um, is going to be sitting there around that Eagles pick. Maybe someone's going in the late first to early second round uh, would probably be the best guess. The second part of this is, is position, right? We have, to, we have to try to guess a position. And that E.J. Manuel pick, was by far the biggest hole for the Buffalo Bills, right? It was quarterback. Um, so, so my thinking is, well, if you're going to predict who the Eagles are going to take them, they're not ha- they're not exploring a lot of positional options for their pick. And with the with free agency, it, it kind of falls down to a, a. I don't know if I can pick out one. Um, defensively, they spent uh, got pass rushers and, and linebackers. Uh, they've even spent on corners a little bit. I think cornerback would probably be the only position that uh, I would look on defense and say I feel very confident that this is a, a, a position they would spend a first-round pick in. 
I actually think offense might be the more likely scenario as much as it probably shouldn't be, but they didn't resign Jeremy Macklin. So I think wide receiver after Jordan Matthews is very bare. Uh, the offensive guard position now is, is in a little bit of a flux. Um, and you talk about the offensive line. I think quarterback's off the table after the Bradford trade. So to, to me it comes down to kind of those three positions, the offensive line, a wide receiver, or corner. And, I, you know, I'm – I'm going to go with a cornerback, which might not be the, the smartest choice, but I have to think, man, Eagles got to spend this on defense, right? And they signed Byron Maxwell, who's who I think's good. I, I don't think he's a true number one stud. Uh, they signed Walter Thurmond, who I think's more of a backup. They still in the there's still just big hole to me at, at that starting corner. And I mean, Chris can correct me if I'm wrong there. I look at the guys that that Chips brought in, and it's been the bigger. You know, six foot five eleven, around two hundred, one hundred ninety to two hundred pound players. So when I when I go through kind of my list um, of well, what corners fit that that I would feel confident are going to be there for their pick and would be a good pick, uh, one name kind of jumps out to me. So that's what I'm going to go with. I'm going to go with Quentin Rollins, uh, the corner from Miami of Ohio. I think it's a player that that will be there. Uh, I think it's a position of need, and I think it is a player that you could you could correctly predict that they would take and feel pretty confident that he's still going to be there. So I think if they, if they go cornerback, I'm going to go with Rollins and a bigger corner and maybe a, a developmental starter as the chip has not, not been one to uh, shy away from swinging for the fences, and that's what Rollins is. So that's what I'm going with. All right, we'll save Chris for uh, to back cleanup since he might have a little better read on this being from the area, close to the area. So I'll go next. And my initial thought, the, the two guys that are kind of expected to be in that range that I think would maybe make sense would be one, Landon Collins, a safety from Alabama. I think he'd be a perfect complement to uh, uh, to uh, Malcolm Jenkins and, and solve a long-standing problem at that position. And then Lyle Collins, offensive guard from LSU, because they've already parted ways with Todd Harriman. There's talk that Evan Mathis is on the block. So offensive guard, I think, could be a need. And we've already seen Chip Kelly use some uh, premium resource in the draft on an offensive lineman. But then it's the second part of that a contingent on players still being there parentheses he should be and and that's where I, I just don't know if either of the Collins is Landon and Lyell really qualify I don't know if I'd say they should be there they might be and they might both be there but I don't know that they should be so that made me back off those two guys so then I focused uh, on cornerback like Shane said and, and I think PJ Williams Jalen Collins Quentin Rollins maybe even Marcus Peters, I think all would make sense, and it's still a need, but they have attempted to address it. They gave Brian Maxwell a ton of money. He brought in Walter Thurman, who's another guy with injury concerns, but talented, uh, has those connections to Chip Kelly, So, and they still have Brandon Boykin as well, so I just don't know if corner's the, the, the biggest need. I'm going to go a little outside of the box, maybe off the board a little bit here, and, and, and maybe swing for the fences myself, and I'm going to say Jake Fisher, offensive guard from Oregon. Now, we see Chip Kelly. He has a clear preference for bringing in Oregon players. We, we, he's been doing it early and often, especially since he's kind of taken the reins of that organization. And, and Jake Fisher's a guy who really has a lot of buzz right now. Uh, he had a good workout at the scouting combine. He had a good pro day. He's moving up the board. Uh, he gives you versatility, can play multiple positions. But uh, I, I just, I'm going to go – with Jake Fisher there. There's talk that he's maybe in that late first-round range, and I think he'd qualify as a player that should still be there. Um, so I'm going to go with Jake Fisher. I don't know what level of confidence I have in that, but uh, I, that, that probably just makes the most sense for me, considering the contingent on the player still being there, he should be. Uh, so, so Chris, you can maybe talk a little bit about um, the logic with Shane and I. You can tell us if one of us were way off base with something our said, we said, uh, but then let us know your thoughts. What, who do you think they're going to take? <laughs> 
You know, I've been saying since December, I, I agree with Shane's pick with Quentin Rollins. Uh, he's probably my favorite DB in this draft just because of his versatility and what he can bring to a secondary. He has cornerback qualities as, as well as safety qualities. He can play both positions. He has great awareness, good ball skills. He's still developing, only playing that one year in college football. I think he's totally a possibility there at number 20. Now, with Brant's tweet, Scott, did he mention then moving up, or was it just a generalized tweet to where he knows who the pick is going to be and it's not Mariota, and he didn't say whether they're going to stay at 20 or if they're going to move up? I wasn't really aware of that. Nope. He said, I know Eagles' first pick in draft, sealed name and envelope, mailed to colleagues. So he didn't necessarily say, I know who the Eagles are going to take at exactly pick number 20. So maybe that's moving up, moving down, but he seems to be pretty confident that he knows the player. And remember with Manuel, the Bills moved around, so he got that right, and they, they still moved in the draft. So this, I don't think it is a firm thing at 20. Okay, if they do, all right, so he's saying basically he knows the prospect that they're going to go after, whether it's going to be a 20 or if they're going to have to move up to get him, this is the one guy that they're going after. Um, and knowing what I know and what you guys know as well as far as their positional needs, I also agree that offensive line is a big need. They're they're dangling Evan Mathis out there now. They're probably trying to get a little bit more versatility, a little younger up front. A guy that I really like and I think who has great versatility is Brandon Scherf from Iowa, who I think can play inside, he can play outside. I think he has a lot of athleticism. I, I think he sort of has that nasty kind of mentality that Chip Kelly would like up front. I think if he drops into that 10 to 13 range possibly, he could be a guy that they could target and move up for. That's a guy that I like personally and I think would fit up front for them. Um, if they want to go for a wide receiver, would they take sort of a flyer on a Green Beckham, who in my opinion is a top five talent, but with all the off-the-field issues that he's had, he's probably going to fall a little bit, obviously, probably in that 17 to 25 range. Is that a guy that they go after? I think wide receiver, offensive line, cornerback slash safety are the needs at this moment that they should go after. I don't know if it's going to be a quarterback. Quarterback is only going to be Mariota or Hundley, in my opinion. If they don't get either of those two guys, I think O-line, cornerback safety, or wide receiver in the first round. Well, do you think wide receiver – because I don't know. I'm skeptical there because I still think they're they're basically three deep at wide out. I think Jordan Matthews had a pretty good rookie year. They obviously like Riley Cooper. They resigned him. And – and then also Josh Huff, uh, another Oregon Duck, who they invested a premium draft pick, a top 100 draft pick on. I just don't know if I see Whiteout being, at least not in the first round, well, I guess maybe in the second or third round, but I don't know if I see that in the first. Well, who's stretching the field in that offense? Who's? I mean, Riley Cooper, Chip Kelly likes him for one reason. He's tough, he's physical, and he can block. Uh, he's not the most – he's not a go-to guy in the offense. Uh, Jordan Matthews. He only had one shining part of the season. That's when Mark Sanchez was behind center. He is the guy who Mark Sanchez looked for over the middle, uh, down the seam, uh, because Sanchez really can exploit the defense going down the middle. Um, he didn't really try to go deep because nobody was getting open deep on any kind of consistent basis. Now, with Josh Huff, he was inconsistent last year. He dropped a lot of easy passes. Uh, he's, he doesn't run crisp routes. He still has a little bit of ways to go here. So 
in this draft, there are some guys that they can really go after in the first round here. Do they make a play for Kevin White or Amari Cooper up there in the top ten? If Cooper falls out of the top ten, maybe he is a guy that they would want to go after. Um, Green Beckham, he's interesting. He has a lot of tremendous qualities to him. I mean, he's 6'5", 230. I mean, he's a big guy. Uh, he has good hands. He runs good routes for a big man. Um, he's intriguing, and maybe he's intriguing enough for Kelly. Maybe he gets him into his culture, and he can really change the kid around. Who knows? But there's a lot of talent there. Maybe even Jalen Strong, who has Philadelphia ties. Uh, he would probably be later in the first round, but that's another guy they should go after. I mean, why settle for guys that you have that really didn't work out last year, but you still need that deep threat, that guy who can be a little bit of a game-breaker, and they're still searching for that guy. Um, I do think Amari Cooper would be a good fit in this offense if they can find a way to get him, but I also think Brandon Schreff would be a pretty good offensive lineman for this offense as well. All right, let's transfer. And, and uh, let me say, at the end of the show, we're going to make our own Gilbrandt-esque predictions for who we think is going to be uh, or who the, the first-round pick that we're most confident in, so stay tuned for that. But in the meantime, we're going to talk a little bit about some other notable free agent stories. And one team, if it's not the Eagles that have made the most ripples in this, this NFL offseason so far, it's been the New Orleans Saints who've made a, a number of, of dramatic moves uh and, and we're going to bring in a new orleans saint fan to talk about that uh, my buddy adam west also known as flyboy on the draft countdown forums uh you can follow him on twitter at ask me to stay 323 uh adam welcome to the show how you doing scott doing well doing well you're the biggest saints fan i know so i wanted to get your perspective on this and and let's start with the big one jimmy graham just basically out of nowhere i don't know if i've seen such a a big name impact player in the prime of his career just traded out of nowhere like jimmy graham was especially year after signing a huge contract extension uh they traded jimmy graham to the seattle seahawks for center max unger and the seahawks first round pick at number 31 overall so uh, let's start adam what, what what was the first thing how did you find out about that trade and what was your first reaction to it um i was on i was at work and i got a notification on twitter from you know when jay glazer broke it and at first i thought you know maybe it was like you know it's the off season so there's fake twitters a month but no like you know i was confirmed and just shocked because it didn't on the core of the trade it, it didn't make sense um but as i kind of broke it down more and looking at all the faults that the team had going seven and nine um, something that a lot of Saints fans kept saying throughout the season was just the horrific player of the offensive line. Um, so getting a, a center like Max Unger to kind of anchor the line kind of helped a little, you know, maybe help the, help me understand the trade a little bit. And then I know you have a player like Jimmy Graham, top two, you know, top playmaker at his position. Um, Sean, Sean Payton's doing something very similar that Chip Kelly is. He's, he's in his head his system can manufacture offense. And so he'd rather, you know, he has a, a elite quarterback that's aging and Drew Brees. He wants to protect him in the, you know, in the future, limit the, the pressure, you know, the pocket and try to, you know, kind of have like one last hurrah in terms of winning the Super Bowl, but also have future implications with cap, you know, having a, a better cap in the future as well. 
Well, and they've also parted ways with some other lesser pieces. Obviously, they all pale in comparison to to Jimmy Graham, but they parted ways with Pierre Thomas. They uh, they they traded uh, Kenny Stills, their wide receiver, for another third round pick. So they're loading up on this draft, and it seems Adam that this is a concerted effort on the Saints' part to kind of shift assets, maybe from offense to the defensive side of the ball, where they've just been really awful for the last three years in a row now and and you mentioned they're making some moves on offense they already started they brought in Brandon Browner to help upgrade that cornerback position but let's talk a little bit about the draft now because the Saints have three of the top 44 picks they have 13 and 31 in first round they have number 44 in round two and then they have a couple of third rounders I believe so what do you think is the game plan? What do you think the Saints are going to do with those first three picks? Are you kind of looking at it, well, if we go this way at 13, what's going to be available at 31, 44? Is there like a strategy that you come around to, to that, that you like for the Saints? And, and, and how concerned are you? I know we've talked about this in the past, but talk a little bit about maybe your concern about how well the Saints are going to be able to use these draft picks considering what happened in the draft last year where they missed on some pretty – pretty important choices how confident are you that they're going to be able to use these draft picks to get the impact players they need uh the, the burning question of, of of from now until until april 30th is going to be the, those picks and i've worked out numerous types of you know scenarios and situations and, and how things can be addressed or should be addressed um the latter part of what you said is, is just going to be all these moves that that the things have made um will be successful if you know these five picks. I believe the top. I believe the five picks in the top eighty hit, or at least three out of the five, or you know, hit and make it to like a second contract. Um, they have so much flexibility. Um, with thirteen in itself, I think there's four different positions that you can realistically make a case for. You can make a case for guard uh, with with Sheriff or or Lyle, Lyle Collins sliding them into guard, pairing them next to Unger. Evans and giving Breeze that you know that type of pocket, say like um, Dallas off, you know, Dallas Cowboys offensive line, like they have Tony Romo. You can make a case for an edge rusher, although you know is it likely that an edge rusher be there at thirteen? Um, you can also make a case for, and it sounds it'll sound kind of silly considering you know these the players being traded off, but you can also make a case for wide receiver at thirteen. Um, you know maybe the the moves with Jimmy Graham and Kenny Stills may have been you know, culture-setting type of move. Um, but maybe there's a receiver that falls out of the top, you know, those top three receivers, whether it be Cooper, um, Parker, White, maybe someone falls and that offer's too good to pass up. Um, and I know Browner was signed, you know, to pair with, you know, Keenan Lewis, to, you know, get them type of big corners. You know, we talked about the draft last year. Stanley Dean Baptiste didn't got eight snaps last year. What if, you know, Trey Wayne is there, seeing that 13? Um, adding on another strength that, you know, could be there to, to solidify the secondary for years to come. Um, and then, with you know, with so many picks, there's a lot of flexibility. You know, there could be moves around the draft in terms of moving up, moving down. Pick 31, you know, maybe that's a pick for Max Williams. You know, we traded Jimmy Graham away, but perhaps at draft Max Williams at 31, you know, there's lesser cap, you know, uh, responsibilities related to, you know, a first-round pick instead of paying Jimmy Graham $10 million a year. Um, and something I've kind of been toying with the ideal itself, um, maybe Sean Payton and, and Mickey Loomis kind of see, like, this is an opportunity. I know we've talked about the quarterback draft or it's been brought, but this quarterback draft isn't that strong. Maybe they covered maybe a quarterback so the Saints would have a Manning to Luck or 
far to um, Aaron Rodgers type of situation instead of having an elite quarterback to going into the abyss. So maybe 31-44 is a place that maybe a Brett Hundley or, you know, Bryce Petty, just throwing names out there to, to start um, grooming because, you know, Breeze is kind of getting close to the end of his career. Um, there's there's a, a plethora of, of ways that, that the Saints can go with, with all these picks. But, uh, again, the biggest thing is if these five picks in the top 80 don't hit work, don't hit at least a 50% type of rate, then these moves that have been made and, you know, the reconstruction and reorganization of the team will be looked at as complete failure. Well, Adam, let me ask you, you mentioned Max Williams in the tight end position. I think one of the things that always intrigues me when a team trades a player for a top-tier draft pick, we saw with the Vikings a couple years ago, trade away Percy Harvin for a first-rounder, then he used that first-rounder on the same position. Um, how, how likely do you think it is that the tight end is on the radar for this draft? Is it something that they have to address in before pick 44, uh, is is it something that you think they could take someone in the mid, mid to late rounds and develop? You know, is 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 Josh Hill and Ben Watson enough to sustain them? It, it ha- does this drastically change their offense? Because uh, my question with this tight end class is, outside of Max Williams and, and maybe round two Clive Walford, is there really anyone else that's that's impact that you're, you're trading away? You know, trading away Graham is uh, probably the weakest position in this draft. So if, if they would come out of this draft without a tight end, would you be comfortable with that? And how how early do you think they really could address it? Are they, are they really looking to take that 31 pick and uh, take someone else to, just to kind of get cheaper and younger? I don't I don't know how vital I would say the tight, of the tight end position is. I think what Sean Payton's done essentially has, has gone back and kind of looked at how his teams were constructed in the past, um, we, when he came, when he first came in, had a Deuce McAllister, had Reggie Bush, and now we kind of, the Saints kind of have that. They have their Mark Ingram, they have their C.J. Spiller to kind of have that reminiscent type of combination. But the Saints' offense before, um, you know, two thousand, you know, before Jimmy Graham was drafted, was very much you know perimeter, you know, seam oriented with Colston, Meacham, uh, Henderson, um, you know, drafting Jimmy Graham changed the offense completely, and I think an argument that had been made that maybe the offense had been drastically shifted through Jimmy Graham so much that it left opportunities for other players or other offensive weapons um, to not get as many touches or, you know, make the offense more balanced in a way. So I don't know if tight end is it, – if it has to be addressed, but I, I will say that some type of – some type of weapon, whether it be tight end, whether it be wide receiver, does have to be – picked within those five picks because I think, uh, you know, I think there's, I think I cal- cal- kind of calculated that train away steals and Graham, that's 200 less touches or two, excuse me, 200 less catches that basically we, we, that was traded away completely. So I don't know if it's a tight end. Um, I could see 31 and I don't know, you know, we, we don't know how teams value character and things like that, but a Dorio green, green back at 31, um, you know, not a tight end, but a, another offensive weapon, or perhaps some, you know, like a like a Perryman at 31. Um, so I don't know if it has to be a tight end, but there it has to be at some point. There has to be another type of replacement to replace those 200 catches. Well, and last question for you, Adam, and I'll kind of give my two cents first. And it, I, I think the key to this is you have to look at the entire landscape and and what's what's going to be our best course of action if we do this here. What's going to happen here? And I think the first two picks at 13 and 31, I think cornerback and 
pass rusher, uh, I, I think would be my – a cornerback at 13, if Trey Waynes is there, I think that's probably the way I would go. But if you go pass rusher at 13, then I think you go corner. I think value-wise, that that's the best route to go. And then at 44, honestly – even over wide receiver, I think I'd go tight end there. I, I think I would go for a Clive Walford from Miami just because there's such a steep drop-off after those first two to three tight ends. If they don't address it in the top 50, I don't know if they're going to be able to address the tight end position, whereas I think they're going to be able to get a really good wide receiver in round three, round four, even round five. I think there's just really good depth at wide receiver. So I, I know what I always uh, we always go back and forth texting Adam, and uh, uh, you're in favor of wide receiver early, and I'm the one pumping the brakes saying defense, defense, defense. But I guess if it were me advising the Saints, I would say best course of action in terms of the value of this draft, I would say cornerback, pass rusher in the first round, and then tight end in the second round, and then wide receiver in that third round. I guess I, I think that's the way that that would give me the best scenario and value for those picks. But I have a feeling you're going to have a different, uh, a different scenario for me. But it, it, specifically those first three picks, a 13, 31, 44, Adam, last question, what's your dream scenario for those three picks, realistic dream scenario? Um, I would say realistic dream scenario, 13. I would probably say 13. I would go um, – I'd probably go cornerback, uh, train Wayne's. Um, you know, just solidifying the secondary for, for years to come. 31, um, something that's been drastically missing on this team for, for years, um, you know, except someone like John Vilma, is, is an athletic, you know, linebacker, whether it be inside or whether it be outside. Um, so 31, I could see someone like, you know, um, Eric Eric Kendricks, you know, coming in and just having, a, you know, a, a massive impact on our team. Or um, in 44, I could, I could see that being probably a wide receiver. Um, I know that might seem like a little early, um, but Devin Smith kind of very – actually in terms of just how similar he is to kind of Kenny Stills and like the role that, that they both kind of play or what they're, what they're best at. Um, so I'd probably say that's probably my, my dream scenario. Um, but you, I know we're, it's, it's not in those, those three picks, but I wouldn't be surprised, you know, how the things have kind of always looked at, you know, you, you know, lesser colleges and Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three. You know, the 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 prospect um, Humbert it would be. You know, I don't know if you know where he would be drafted. You know, where he's slided to go. But just I would keep an eye out for that. That's not that's not any insider, but it's just you know trends of how the team is kind of draft. You know, going in the past um, that might you know also help the interior of the offensive line as well. All right, Adam, thank you so much for the insight. We appreciate it. No problem, Scott. Have a good one. All right, you too. Take care. Uh, and, and let's bring Chris Stuber back in and, and get his thoughts on what the Saints have done and, and maybe their options for those first three picks. Uh, Chris, were you as shocked by the Jimmy Graham trade as, as the rest of us were? Uh, like I said, I don't know if I ever remember such a big trade just coming out of left field like that. And uh, I guess just what are your thoughts on the Saints and what they have done so far in this offseason, and what do you think their game plan is going to be going into the draft? You know, I, I was very surprised by the Jimmy Graham trade. It's you never really see a, a big time player like that just get traded. Um, but although we've seen some crazy stuff this off season, so I guess nothing should ever surprise me now. Um, it's almost like the NFL is doing their own fantasy football league, and in, in reality, and it's it's very interesting what's going on. And you know, to lose Graham on that offense. It, it's got to be huge, and I can't imagine Drew Brees is very happy with. You know, losing Darren Sproles last year and now losing Jimmy Graham this year. I mean, they're depleting that offense and trying to 
I guess, rebuild it a little bit with what they have. Um, obviously, Brandon Cooks was a big upgrade last year until he got hurt. But, yeah, I agree. I think cornerback has to be the way that they go. They have to address that secondary. They have to be able to stop somebody. Um, Trey Waynes would be a tremendous selection for them. Um, you know, Collins would be a very intriguing one since he has those local ties. But, you know, I think that Waynes at 13, uh, I think that would be a very good pick for the Saints. Yeah, and I'm with you with Jimmy Graham. The only thing I can think of is that they were concerned about his durability because, I mean, Jimmy Graham might be as close to an irreplaceable player as there is in the NFL outside of maybe the quarterback position. I mean, Jimmy Graham's do not grow on tees. Uh, on trees every team's looking for that impact tight end and Jimmy Graham's if not one he's number two so uh it's going to be interesting they they definitely went on a limb with that uh let's hit a few other topics here before we end the show um let's stay in the NFC East it seems like we're, we're we've talked about the NFC East quite a bit but some big storylines out of that, that that division and we talked about the Eagles uh part of them signing DeMarco Murray, but how about from the Cowboys' perspective? Uh, what does this do to their plans, losing the NFL's leading rusher like that? And I, I think it was a good move on Dallas's part. Uh, it, I, it, I think in the past, Jerry Jones would have paid whatever it takes to keep DeMarco Murray, let the cost be damned, but I, I think he's kind of realized that what most other teams have is it's just not a smart investment. And I put on Twitter, would you rather have a 27-year-old DeMarco Murray for five years and $42 million, or say a 21-year-old Todd Gurley for four years and $7.5 million? So, so the Cowboys, they signed Darren McFadden, but I think that would be a stretch to rely on him. Do we think now that Dallas is going to be in the market for a running back early on, maybe even as early as round one? Or do you think they're going to try to cobble something together by committee with, uh, with the likes of Darren McFadden and Joseph Randall, um, uh, even Ryan Williams, who they're supposedly high on? Do we think they go running back early? Do, you, do we think they take advantage of the, uh, the awesome depth at that position this year where you're going to be able to get a good runner in the third, fourth, fifth round? Uh, start with you, Shane. How do you think losing Murray affects the Cowboys' draft plans? I, I think it, it does affect it a lot. And when you have a team who doesn't have a running back, we're going to be looking at Gurley and Gordon for them, right? Like it's it's kind of hard to find a real good place for those guys when you have a team like Dallas or it seems Arizona's gone after a lot of running backs. These teams that have tried to sign bigger free agent running backs but have failed to do so, well, they're going to be sitting – I think Gurley Gordon late in the first are going to be sitting there right in your face. So I, I – but I always struggle. I, I don't know. This draft is going to tell so much about the running back position in the NFL – how much the teams really value it now? Has it really truly changed? If Dallas doesn't take one of these two, and if they're both there at their pick, and they pass on both of them um, to take someone in the second or third round, then I think it tells you a lot because it is an important position in that offense we saw last year. Uh, that's what helped this team be so successful uh, is, is having that offensive line and having the running game. So um, to me, I, I think it would be ideal if Todd Gurley was sitting there for them to take take him and kind of mash together Darren McFadden and Joseph Randall for a little while until Gurley's ready. I think they could do that, and you could realistically fall with that plan. And until they take, until they pick up someone that uh, I really feel creates that chemistry with Darren McFadden, I, I, I think my odds would be on Dallas taking a running back 
in the first round. I think Jerry Jones is is high profile enough, and and um, he'll you know he's willing to now take guys in the trenches, but I think he's still very willing to take that flashy big positional player too. Well, and I think there's an important distinction to make in regards to running backs because the position's been devalued in terms of what teams are willing to invest in the position, but it's not less important. I mean, teams still love to run the ball. Look how many times DeMarco Murray toted the the, the pigskin for Dallas this year. Look at Marshawn Lynch, how important he is to Seattle. Uh, It's still important. Teams just aren't willing necessarily to invest uh, huge resources by and large. So, Chris, what, what's your take on the Cowboys running back situation now? Do you think they invest maybe even in the first round in a running back? Uh, is, is there somebody down the line that you like better for them? What do you think they're going to do now? Because that's a – boy, what a great situation. I mean, behind that offensive line, there's a lot of carries available. If the Cowboys were to take a running back in the first, second, or even third round, I mean, you couldn't ask for a better situation as a runner. You know what, getting back to the whole running back thing, though, Scott, in terms of the value of – taking one in the first round, I always found that puzzling because, as you mentioned, you know, teams do run the ball, you know, and if you're a fantasy player, we always take running backs high in the draft. And so they are important, and the money value for all the players who are slotted in the first round is much less than what it used to be. So you would think they would even have better value, but for them to fall into the second and third round, it's always been questionable to me because if you need a guy who can get the ball take it to the house, you know, you're going to get that guy when you want him and not necessarily on draft value alone or whatever you may interpret that to be. But if you want a guy, you should go and get him. And for the Dallas Cowboys, they have a hole at running back. And the Cal and Darren McFadden to stay healthy, be productive, be the player that he was at Arkansas a while ago, that's just fool's gold right now. And I would go after Melvin Gordon or Todd Gurley, although Gurley's coming off an ACL. Um, I would feel more comfortable with Melvin Gordon. Uh, I think he would fit that offense very well. Uh, he's a tough runner. You know, he's elusive. He has a lot of good qualities to him. And I do think they should go for a running back early in the draft, especially with what you mentioned with the offensive line being what it is at this point. It's a tremendous offensive line. And if you have a good quality running back back there like you had last year with DeMarco Murray, and if you add a Gordon, and if Gurley is healthy enough, then he has a lot more value. But I would say Melvin Gordon would be my pick. Or if you want to go in the second round, Jay Ajayi. I really like Jay Ajayi. I think he has tremendous qualities, and I think he could be a star running back in this league. And, and I do think the Cowboys need to invest a top 100 pick in another running back. You just can't count on the group they've assembled, especially McMadden, McFadden with his durability. So uh, it's just a matter of how early. But, boy, I mean, if you, uh, Todd Gurley would really intrigue me if I'm the Dallas Cowboys. I think he might be one of the three to five most talented players in this entire draft, regardless of position. If he can stay healthy, that's a that's a, a, a maybe an upgrade over DeMarco Murray, which is really saying something. But uh, it's going to be interesting to see what Dallas does. Uh, we kind of thought they might lose Murray, uh, but now that's actually come to fruition, uh, they've, they've got some decisions to make. Let's talk about one more team. Uh, before we, we, we make our predictions for the, the pick in the first round that we're most confident about. Let's talk about the Jets, because they're a team that I think has gone out and kind of plugged a lot of their holes in free agency. I think the picture's kind of coming more into shape for the New York Jets. Uh, certainly they traded for Brandon Marshall to upgrade that passing attack, which they desperately needed to do. Cornerback, uh, I mean, just just crazy. Talk about a team flooding at a position. They went out and they signed Jarrell Rivas, Antonio Cromartie, Buster Screen. I mean, they spent crazy money on cornerbacks. 
uh, to the point where a, a former top 10 overall pick, D. Milner, is like their number four corner now. And I said, uh, if I was a, a cover guy needy team, I'd be trying to to get D. Milner for a song and, and, and maybe take a chance on him. But uh, I, I think the picture's coming in a little more clear for the Jets now. At one point, I thought maybe they could go with Trey Waynes, uh, but now that they've signed all those corners, that's obviously all the picture. Wide receivers probably all the conversation. So I, I think it's kind of three areas. One, if, if Marcus Mariota, the quarterback from Oregon, falls to them at number six, would they take him? Uh, I think that's a really interesting conversation. That might be Mariota's floor. I still think they need to bring in a pass rusher. Calvin Pace is kind of on his last legs, and they're going to have some pretty good options uh, in terms of those pass rushers there. Dante Fowler, Shane Ray, Randy Gregory, Vic Beasley, Bud Dupree. Or for a wild card, I don't think it's going to happen, but how about Melvin Gordon from Wisconsin? They, they, they've been kind of searching for that, that stud running back for a number of years now. Could that maybe be the highest we see a running back come off the board? I, I don't think that's going to happen, but I think the Jets are kind of an intriguing team. So, uh, Shane, what are your thoughts on New York? Uh, what, which way do you think they're leaning now? I guess from a value and need perspective, outside linebacker, that edge pass rusher would probably make the, more, the most sense, but... Boy, if Mariota's there, I, I have to imagine he's going to tempt them at the very least. I, I think you would have to. I think that's that's the big question: is this this team is a pivotal place in that first round? And I think after you get past Tampa Bay and assume Tennessee's not taking quarterback, Jets are kind of the next team in line to take one. So if Marcus Mariota falls there to six, uh, could this be a situation where where they draft him, who I think is a great fit for Chan Gailey's offense? If you want to talk about a fit for an offense. Uh, that, that that's not the Eagles from Mariota. I think this might be the next best one where you have uh, a little little more of spread and those those quicker passes and quicker decisions. I think it matches up with Mariota's skill set and what he's done in college as well. Uh, so I, I and I'm torn because if if he if Mario's sitting there at six, um, I think there would be a market for that pick. And if you're the Jets. I think running back is still position on the radar, too, even if they're going to move to more of a passing offense. Uh, I think Gordon slash Gurley are intriguing if they move down. Uh, could they trade down and take one of those guys and pick up some extra picks and keep building that defense? Now, edge, edge rusher is probably the most common because they don't really have uh, someone opposite Quinton Copel that you feel real good about. I mean, Calvin Pace is uh, 34 years old. So that that's a big need. But it seems that Todd Bowles is, is going with the secondary and where he's been defensive coordinator. They haven't exactly invested in pass rushers in those places. They've invested in the secondary just like they're doing for the Jets. So I feel like that has an impact on it too. I, I, I'd, lean, I'd lean Mariota. I think, I think they're going to find a way to get him. They either move up a couple picks or sit there and take him at six. And I, I think Jets are going to make a splash move and, and try again at the quarterback position. Well, and that's a good point. And even though I think that pass rusher makes the most sense from that value and need perspective, especially when you look at Todd Bowles, he's a defensive guy. A lot of times when teams bring in a new head coach, they they tend to use their their first round pick on that guy's side of the ball. That's his that's his forte. But at the same time, like you you alluded to, Shane, he didn't really make a major investment in pass rushers. Went during his time in Arizona, they were able to kind of manufacture a pass rush with mid-round picks and, and veteran free agents. So I, I kind of go back and forth. Uh, and I think Mariota, if he's there, is probably the most intriguing guy for the Jets. Uh, Chris, what, what would you think of that? Do you think the Jets would be a good landing spot for Mariota? Do you think he might end up somewhere? Where do you think Mariota is going to end up? And what do you think the Jets are going to do? I still believe that Mariota should go to Tampa Bay. That's just my opinion. But, I mean, who knows what the Jets. I mean, you never know what that organization is going to do. 
Uh, quarterback, they need one. Um, you know, we've seen Geno Smith. He's not a good fit for that town. He's not a good fit for that for anything that they do there. He's just struggled. And Ryan Fitzpatrick, he's coming in, and he's a quality veteran to have there. But who knows what they're going to do. I mean, if Mariota is there number six, it would be a good pick. Um, they may have to be patient with Mariota to fit into their scheme. Um, but, again, they have always they always have needs. And Todd Bowles coming in, he may favor defense almost like Rex Ryan. But as you said, Scott, he's sort of manufactured – defensive weapons in terms of pass rushers, and he's kind of found guys who fit his scheme and what they do best. So if Mariota's is there at six, which I would think would be a steal at that point, um, you got to take him. Uh, and I could also see them making a splash and moving up to get Mariota, with, whether it's the Titans or the Buccaneers. That's a lot easier for them to do than what the Eagles are trying to do from 20-2 to two or 20-1. to one. So if Mariota's is there, go and get him. Yeah, and if the Tennessee Titans are dumb enough to pass on Mariota at number two if he's there, uh, I think their loss would be the Jets' gain because I think he could very well fall into their laps. If Washington doesn't take Mariota at number five, I think that's another interesting conversation, but uh, we can save that for another show. But before we end this one, we want to channel our inner Gil Brandt, and since he made a bold prediction for who he thinks the Eagles are going to pick, we're going to make picks, but we're not going to start at the top of the draft. Anybody could pit, could make a prediction for one of the top ten overall, but we're going to each make a selection for a team outside of the top ten, the pick that we're most confident in. And We're still a, a month and a half away from draft day, so we're not going to hold anybody's feet to the fire on this. There's Odds are we're probably going to be wrong. Hopefully we can uh, get in the right position at least, but uh, let's go around the horn. We'll start with Shane. I'll go second. We'll, we'll, we'll finish up with Chris. Uh, Shane, what pick outside of the top ten are you most confident in at <laughs> uh, most confident being the keyword because I don't think I'm confident in any pick at this point to to kind of identify this I think uh, I think I want to go with the team that has a glaring 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 hole so that could go positional based that really cuts it down on the amount of players that you have to pick and I think there's two teams that really stood out to me when trying to pick one was the Pittsburgh Steelers at 22 just with how their off seasons went Jason Worlds leaving and then retiring. They, they need an outside linebacker badly. And I think a lot of people uh, around here in Pittsburgh uh, think that's what they're going to go for, whereas uh, kind of around the country corner, and it is a big need, it's still a big need. But I don't, I don't know if I feel confident about any pass rushers. It's kind of no man's land for pass rushers at 22. So the other team that sparked my interest is the Carolina Panthers at 25. And looking back at, at general manager Dave Gettleman's history, I think this is a spot I want to go to because, one, when they've had uh, a glaring hole – he has been he has addressed it in the first round. Last year, wide receiver. Uh we were all talking about it. We they're gonna take a wide receiver. They have to take a wide receiver. An offensive tackle was kinda of number two. And he took a wide receiver, Kevin Benjamin, the year before, defensive tackle. They couldn't stop the run. He took a defensive tackle in the first and second round. So to me this feels like a good team to pick that addresses needs. Uh, almost over best player available in a lot of cases. And I think the offensive tackle position for Carolina, they have other needs, but I think that's the biggest thing, even with signing Michael Orr, who's, who's not really a starter anymore, and Nate Chandler was, was mediocre at best. I think offensive tackle is the way they're going to go. Now we got to pick a, which offensive tackle it's going to be, and that's, that's the problem because it could be <laughs> a number of offensive tackles that could get taken late in the first round. Uh, it could could someone like Leo Collins fall, Eric Flowers from Miami, T.J. Clemmings from Pitt. 
so I guess I'm kind of pulling a, a, a card here out of the hat and and just seeing what I come up with. But uh, I, I think all right, who who could who's most likely going to go before them or a potential to go before their pick? I think Collins has uh, Pete. Uh, they, a lot of Collins and Andrews Pete are probably going to go before their pick or have a high chance of that. I think Eric Flowers uh, and T.J. Clemmings could go around there or later. So I, I kind of waffle back and forth, but I think I'm going to go with T.J. Clemmings, going 25 to the Carolina Panthers. Uh, I think that, that athletic build, that kind of pass protection, seems to be uh, the way that they've addressed the offensive line. Uh, they've, they've had some hard-nosed guys on the inside, Amini Silatolu, but uh, they drafted a guy like Trey Turner last year in the third round, who's, who's bigger but has, has his long arms, has that potential. We don't have really uh, a prediction with uh, in the last two years from the offensive tackle perspective, so tough to say what they want in that. So I'm going to go with T.J. Clemmings. I'm going to go with the upside player at, at 25 to Carolina. I'll put it in the envelope and send it to you, Scott, if you want me to, so you can remember this one on draft day. I'll put it in the digital podcast envelope. And, and that, that's what makes it so tough because I think the team needs are coming into focus with free agency, but it's what specific player. And I think Carolina is a perfect example where, I mean, I agree. I think offensive tackle, and, and there's going to be some good options late round one. It's just a matter of which one. Is it, do you go with DJ Humphreys? Do you go with TJ Clemmings, Eric Flowers, maybe even Andrews Pete? I mean, it's just a matter of which one. And, and that's where I kind of struggled with this question. And honestly, it, it was harder than I thought it was going to be when I first came up with the idea. I thought there'd be, it would be pretty obvious there'd be a team, okay, I'm going to go with that team and that player, but it wasn't really the case. I hemmed and hawed, even right to the point where we were about to start the show, but ultimately... I kind of zeroed in on the Baltimore Ravens at 26. And even before they lost Torrey Smith as a free agent to San Francisco, wide receiver was a need. But now it's really a need. I think they could legitimately go with a couple wide receivers early on. So with that being the case, which wide receiver? I think it's pretty clear the top tier are going to be off the board with Kevin White, Amari Cooper, Devontae Parker. So then you look at the second tier, Doriel Green Beckham from Oklahoma. After Ray Rice, they're not taking Doriel Green Beckham, so I can cross him off the list. Jalen Strong from Arizona State, really good player, but even though he ran better than expected in workouts, I just don't know if that's the type of player Baltimore is going to be looking for. I think, And the same goes for Brashad Perriman from Central Florida. Uh, more possession guys, whereas I think Baltimore, they need that vertical threat. They need that guy who's going to stretch the field so they can take advantage of, of Joe Flacco's big arm, and then they can run the ball and play defense. So I, I kind of zeroed in on Devin Smith from Ohio State and Sammy Coach from Auburn. I think either of those guys would be perfect replacements for uh, Torrey Smith and give that vertical dimension that they're currently lacking now. So I'm going to go with Devin Smith from Ohio State. Um, I think he's going to come off right off the board right in that late round one, early round two range. And I just think he's exactly what the doctor ordered for that Baltimore offense. And, and basically, they, if they you do use that pick on a wideout to replace Torrey Smith, they're going to be paying that, that wide receiver that they drafted in the first, late in the first round less over the course of his entire contract, which is four or five years, then Torrey Smith is going to be making next season. So uh, I, I think from a, a, an asset standpoint, if you didn't want to pay Torrey Smith, I think they're going to be able to find a replacement for him in the draft, whether it be round one, round two, or round three. But I just think Devin Smith would make a lot of sense for the Baltimore Ravens. So that's the one I'm going to put in my envelope. Uh, Chris, we're going to wrap up with you. Well, you guys hit me with this right before I came onto the show. Um you know, I'm, I've tough, been thinking right? about it all show long. I, what's that? <laughs> it's tough, right? It, no, it definitely is. Um, but the one team that just came to mind with me was the Kansas City Chiefs. 
and their situation at safety. And with Eric Berry with being diagnosed with the, the lymphoma, you know, I think it puts them in a situation where they need to find someone. I know they got Tyvon Branch through free agency, but if Landon Collins falls to them at number 18, um, I think that would be a great pick. And I think that he has the versatility to play a little free safety, but he's a strong safety. But I think he gives them that versatility back there that could really uh, help them out in terms of, you know, future-wise. And, and Branch would be a nice solution for possibly this season, possibly next season. But I, I think what Collins can bring for the future is what Eric, was what Eric Berry had, maybe a little bit less from Collins, but Eric Berry is a huge loss to that defense. And who knows what his future is going to be. So I think Landon Collins, if he does fall to number 18, um, that would make a lot of sense as far as a, a marriage there between Chiefs and Collins. I really like Landon Collins, too. It seems like he's kind of picking up some negative buzz as the draft approaches here. It seems people are kind of down on him, but I really like Landon Collins. I think he's a heck of a football player, but maybe that's a topic for another show. And, Chris, we're going to have to have you back on uh, before the draft to maybe talk about your thoughts on some specific prospects. But uh, before we let you go, uh, tell everybody where we can uh, follow you on Twitter, where we can read you, anything else you have to promote. Yeah, you can follow me on Twitter, at Chris Stuber, uh, last name S-T-E-U-B-E-R. Um, I'm not as active as I used to be, but I'm still on there, and I still put out some tweets. Um, and that's really all I have going on. I'm on Comcast Sportsnet as well, csmphilly.com. I do some Eagles draft stuff for them. So uh, you can follow me on those two places. All right. Thanks so much for coming on, Chris. We appreciate all the insight, and we'll talk to you soon again. Scott, Shane, it was a good time, man. Appreciate it. All right. Thanks, take sir. care. We also want to thank our other guest, Adam West, who is on to talk about the Saints. Uh, and, and next, I know this was kind of a, an NFL-centric show. Um, we tried to mix in some draft, but let's face it, right now, this time of year, the NFL world is revolving around free agency, and, and every free agent signing or loss has an impact on the NFL draft. So I thought it was worth taking a, an entire show and just kind of devoting to some interesting topics in that regard. And, and we just... The tip of the iceberg, Shane. We could have talked. I had a list of another six, seven, eight <laughs> topics we could have talked about with free agency. It's just the, the landscape is literally changing on an hourly basis. And, and even though a lot's already happened, there's still a lot to come. These team names are not done changing. Uh, teams are still addressing holes. And we're, we're kind of past this first wave of free agency where a lot of the big names but uh, have come off the board. But uh, we're not finished by any stretch of the imagination in the next two three four weeks leading up to the draft i think teams are constantly going to be uh kind of uh reorganizing their roster and and i think doing so with the 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 strength or weaknesses of this draft in mind i think as the as kind of the draft picture becomes more clear for these teams they realize oh man if if we need to uh say a tight end they say boy if we're not going to be able to get one of these top three tight ends, we're not going to get one, so we better go out and maybe make a trade for Jimmy Graham or, or address this these needs in other ways. And on the flip side of the coin, they might say, okay, we have a need here, but that the draft has a really deep crop at that position, so we're going to hold off. So uh, it just, you just cannot emphasize enough how big of a role free agency plays in the NFL draft process because as much as NFL teams like to say they take the best player available, they usually take the best player available at a position of need. So um, it, it's been a lot of fun. Uh, there's a lot more for, fun to come here with, with free agency and leading up to the draft, but we'll be back next week with another show where, like I said, we'll kind of focus on more on specific prospects and draft scenarios. But uh, we want to thank our guests one last time, Chris and Adam, and want to thank everybody else for listening. Thank you so much for tuning in. As always, we see our listener numbers climbing on a weekly basis. And as always, if you 
enjoy the show, uh, a positive review on iTunes would be much appreciated. So with that, we're going to call it a show. And as of right now, there are 46 days, 3 hours, 45 minutes, and 48 seconds left until the 2015 NFL Draft. Tick-tock.